0: Part of what brings me so much joy in my job is being able to bridge these realms of the seen and unseen, of the rational, irrational, of the magic and the scientific, of the pragmatic and the woo-woo. It's what we do in the clinic. That's really what we're trained to do as practitioners.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I see this all the time in clinic. Actually, I hear it, the list of a patient's shortcomings, the bad opinions that they have of themselves, the places they feel broken, or perhaps the places where others told them where they were broken, flawed, or did not measure up, and they believed them. Often, people come to see us because they feel broken. Their uterus doesn't work the way they want it to. Their body does not fit the image they have of it. And the beauty filters on social media, well, that just throws kerosene on that fire. There are a million ways we come to having a poor opinion of ourselves. We look different or talk different or think different from those who we admire. And so it's easy to blame ourselves. But that self-hatred can only be tolerated for so long before we go looking for scapegoats in the world that are the cause of our own self-induced harm. There are plenty of causes to join that will help you to change the outer world, but that will never, ever get at the source of the suffering because that source of suffering is our own tender human heart. And the source of that suffering is what we believed about ourselves and about the world in which we live. While there are those patients who think they have it right and everyone else has it wrong, they are more rare because mostly. They don't think they need help. But the people that visit you in your clinic, they are more likely to have a rosary of flaws that they recite to themselves and an ongoing litany of focus on their deficiencies. Perhaps you do it as well. Meditate on where you're wrong and need to fix it to make it right, endlessly worry the future or regret the past. It's a curious self-reflective loop of consciousness. That distorts our perception of the outside world and at the same time leaves us powerless in the thrall of self-imposed limits. Positive thinking is not the way out of this puzzle box. Going up against the tidal forces of habit and belief is like trying to swim against a riptide. It will successfully drown you. But like encountering a riptide, the thing to do is swim parallel to the shore. You don't fight the flow, neither do you follow it, instead swim across into more gentle waters. And one way to do this with our minds and beliefs is to write out your list of virtues. It's like adding different colored beads to your rosary of complaint, something that sparkles a different kind of shine, because habit is powerful, but it's stupid. Write out your list of virtues. Name your perseverance, your kindness, your work ethic, your fierceness. Remind yourself of your capacity to see and be moved by beauty. Tell yourself the stories of your courage. Add to the litany in your mind of how you've been dedicated, that you've taken risks on your own behalf, that there is a unique shape that you occupy in the world and it is yours and yours alone. You don't need to get rid of the prayer bees of complaint and want. Who knows? Maybe they contain an unexpected, unexplored virtue. Life is surprising in that way. But do add to your litany of worry and complaint the virtues that you can stand up for. And don't be surprised if your virtues have a dark side as well. There is plenty of goodness to be found in the shadow if you're up for that kind of hero's journey. Start with reconciling the sins with which you torture yourself. Start with recognizing virtue when you see it, and help your patients to do the same. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how.
2: Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Maywe Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face, so subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust meiwei Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: And be sure to mention the code GEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Our work in clinic is almost always a walk into the unknown. Regardless of our clinical experience or kit of tools, there is a moment that often arises when we sit down with our patients and we can't not be engaged with the mystery of who they are And what they need. Our work in the clinic is a walk between worlds. It's often enough a journey through time with experiences of the past echoing into the present moment. And our work using the tools and perspectives of East Asian medicine invites us to use both what's rational and non rational. Indeed, we are frequently walking between worlds. In today's conversation with Sean Fox, we explore shamanism and how it connects with the work we do in clinic, how there is magic in the mundane when you know how to use your attention. We discuss the vital importance of rooting our work into the physical body and how the connective threads of synchronicity are often present once your attention is soft enough to allow them into your awareness. About a year ago in episode number 206 with Shelley Oakes, we discussed the Bien tradition and how it's separate from the Neijing stream of medicine. Furthermore, that it was perhaps more related to shamanistic practice than the rationality of the Neijing. So with that in mind, let's get into this conversation with Sean on shamanism and the bridge between the world of the present moment, the veils of time, and a more vital and coherent connection of mind, body, and spirit. Sean Fox, welcome to Geological.
0: Thanks so much, Michael. Great to be here.
1: Happy to have you here. You have been doing Chinese medicine and you have some interest in shamanism. Mhm. So this is a really interesting topic, a curious topic. And uh, I'd like to begin with as I often begin, like how did a nice guy like you find your way into Chinese medicine? in the first place? Yeah, that's
0: a really great question. And I think as with many of us, it is a deeper calling. I know in my particular case, I was really interested in qigong to begin with. Mm -hmm. And acupuncture hadn't even really crossed my mind. I think it came to a place where I really tuned in with my purpose. And when I really took the time and tuned in with my purpose, It really raised the question, you know, what's your next step then? If you're a healer, because that's what really arose within me, what's your next step? And so I knew I wanted to study something in the energy arts. Qigong, you know, I'd been playing with for about, you know, eight or ten years at that point. Mm -hmm. And the idea of medical qigong really, really spoke to me. And so I looked for a program and couldn't find anything that really suited my needs. And so I thought, well, why not? go for the acupuncture education. It's like your baseline Chinese medicine education. And who knows, maybe I'll fall in love with the needles.
1: Maybe you'll find something in there. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you say about first getting clear with your purpose. Hmm. I hear so many people. In fact, I've got a young person at home now at the age where we're thinking of college. And One of the things that I don't hear anybody asking her is, well, what would you like to be able to do five years from now? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Not what you want to study, not what you want to learn. What would you like to be able to do five years from now? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And when I hear you talk about getting clear with your purpose, that just, I mean, it really rings a bell for me. Again, I'm watching it unfold in a young person in front of me right now. And I think for any of us, we often have questions, we often have problems, and we're looking, how can I solve this problem? And here I hear you say, well, what's your purpose? What do you want? Where do you want to get to? Mm -hmm. I personally find intention and
0: purpose to be primary. Otherwise, why are we doing this?
1: Well, it's a good question. You just brought up another word that I'm often... I was gonna say curious isn't the right word i recognize i don't understand it like i thought i did which is intention Mm -hmm. i hear it all the time i used to think i knew what it meant (laughs) in these days i'm not sure what it means so when you say intention i'd like to know more about what you're thinking
0: intention is really that force that brings things into being In certain perspectives, certain, like in the Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan, shamanistic perspective, Mm. intent is the force that brings the universe into being. It's the force that holds the universe together. And so as a microcosm of that larger expression of consciousness in the universe, our intent is really our focused energy towards bringing something into being, whatever that might be. And I think that's one facet. Because I think as with so many words, we can say the word and there can be so many layers of meaning. Mm. There can be a lot in the semantic sphere, but it depends maybe what we're talking about in what context. So intent is a very big one. And, you know, we talk about the intent to heal or the intent to cultivate or there's a lot of layers to it.
1: So when I hear you talk about intention this way, it's almost like an incantation. Like calling something into being.
0: Mm -hmm. An incantation is certainly a big intention put into practice.
1: Mm. Say that again. An incantation
0: is a big intention put into practice. Put into practice. Exactly. Through vibration. Right? Our voice is really the most powerful instrument we know of in the world. Our voice is able to carry our intention. Our voice is able to make such a broad range of frequencies and sounds. It's an enormously powerful instrument and tool that I think, especially in this day and age, isn't maybe given the credit that it deserves and given the space that it potentially can be given to help facilitate healing and help facilitate spaces of healing.
1: Mm. So healing and spaces of healing, those are two really different things, aren't they? They are.
0: And yet, as with many things, they're intimately entwined. Mm. I think, especially in in modern medicine, a lot of times the space for healing is not also given the credit that it deserves because we can speak of bedside manner and doctors or we can speak of, you know, making people feel comfortable or welcome. But there's really something to setting up that space for healing to happen Mm -hmm. because ultimately it's the person's own body. It's the person's own being that does the healing we can stick needles in people, give them herbs, say nice things, ask poignant questions. But in the end, it's this being's own body, spirit that does the healing. And so by setting up spaces for that, that are conducive to that, I think that's a huge step in the healing process.
1: Yeah, I think about, I visited an emergency room with somebody recently. And that is just full of equipment and bright lights and computers and a whole bunch of human beings that are just at the edge of their capacity, Mm -hmm. just in terms of stress and, you know, things going on. ERs, right? I mean, they're very difficult people having very difficult moments when they enter something like that. Yeah. And there's so much technology in there which I found not particularly reassuring.
0: (laughs) It's not exactly an ideal space for healing
1: to happen. It's not a great space for healing. It might be a great place for survival,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: but yeah, healing is a different thing. So tell me a bit about how you set your space up. What kind of space do you have? What kind of invitation are you offering Mm -hmm. with the space for the healing to occur? So for me, I've worked in all sorts of spaces. Sometimes I'll visit people
0: in their living room and I do my best to set that space, that bubble of healing in that space. But when it's ideal for me, honestly, the comfort and safety of the person, for a person's body and being to be able to drop into a sense of safety and trust, I think is primary. Mm. So in my space, I do set up a big altar, you know, that is primary in my office. So there's some crystals and a few statues of deities and singing bowls and various things. As far as the person laying down, I've got a, basically a crystal infrared mat that people lay on, which think a lot of practitioners do, a lot don't, and just right
1: there. Mm-hmm. So is this like a bio mat? It's
0: basically a bio mat-ish.
1: Ish. It's
0: got a little, little jade in there. Yeah, not the brand, but the, the same idea. Mm-hmm they're actually on a, it's on a sound table as well. So there is a lot of different levels I think that we can bring to the process of healing and the process of space creation. So within that there's my office, there's an altar, there's a really cozy table for people to be on. But part of space as well is also spiritual space. That's mm. a context and and holds a container for that. Before every session I'm also invoking A metaphysical space, which involves using the directions, using certain deities and beings, archangels, that maybe the person's not even aware of that happening, but there is a tangible shift of energy in the room. And often people do feel that and express that. So there's different levels of space. And I like to really do everything I can to create that welcoming cozy, safe space, and then also open up that spiritual space for people's deeper experiences to unfold.
1: Well, as you said, I have found this to be true as well. The healing that people have, it really doesn't come from us. It may comes, I'm not sure of the words even, through us. We get to tangentially be involved with it. We get to catalyze it. Catalyze is a good word. Hmm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, catalyzation is an interesting thing because it's taking two otherwise basically inert materials and bringing them together that fundamentally changes their interaction.
0: Exactly. And, you know, you might look at that little needle and it's like that's not really doing anything sitting there but when with the proper intention and at the right moment is placed in the right place can have a huge effect.
1: It's true. It can be dramatic.
0: One tiny pin can shift a person's entire reality. The seemingly inert, you know, little stainless steel pin.
1: Yes. I like that. Seemingly inert. <laughs> I was talking with somebody the other day on the podcast. We were talking about tasing needles. And he said, well, you know, they're not inert objects. (laughs) And I thought, oh, well, now that you mention it, yes, they're not, are they? (laughs) Well, I mean, that gets us into
0: a bit more of the nature of reality, the nature of the universe, and the nature of vibration. Especially in this modern day and age, and in our Western-trained minds, and the Cartesian viewpoint that is kind of dominant in the world today. A piece of metal is an inert object. Yes, when we take it to the quantum level, when we take it to what we know to actually be happening on a atomic level subatomic level, that is a a vibrating piece of energy. And so we use this energy field to interact with another energy field. And I think that's closer to the reality of what's actually going on, even if that's not what we're necessarily seeing in that moment. It's an inert, non-living object. Well, it's also a vibrating field of energy, and in a way you could say that is
1: alive. Well, it has a kind of potential mm-hmm. as things do at the quantum level. So they say, I, I, I've read a little bit about that quantum physics stuff. And, it's interesting, but I can't say I really understand it in any way, shape, or form that would let me use it in my clinical work.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you found ways of of taking those ideas and bringing them into your clinical practice? Well, there's a few different ways that can happen.
0: For one, it's seeing things as field of energy, right? It's another way of seeing. Mm-hmm. And so in that... Seeing a person not just as this body sitting there, but as these overlapping fields of energy is certainly one way to apply the quantum way of seeing to our work. Another would be, for example, going beyond the veils of time. Mm. So if we tune in with someone's trauma, with someone's experience in the past, let's say childhood wound or experience, and we can help bring them back to that place. That's working on a quantum level, right? If we use our consciousness in this moment, our being in this moment to go back through the veil of time to interact with, let's say, our child nature and self, that is quantum work right there.
1: I have had experiences on occasion, and I'm always really careful about this stuff. And I've heard of really great practitioners, like amazing osteopathists or people that really know some energy work and they can put their hands on people sometimes get a sense. Oh yeah. You like fell off your bike at age eight (laughs) and you scraped your knee, but the fear that it put in you, you know, is causing this problem downstream. You hear stories like that on rare occasions. I've had a moment where I feel like there is something kind of misty in a person's past. Mm -hmm. That's like, Present in the moment. But I'm always very, very reluctant to look at it too closely. Mm -hmm. And yet it's there. At least it might be there. And the really oddball thing to me, again, I'm reluctant to look too closely at these things. Maybe if I had more training or understood the terrain better, I'd feel different, but I don't. But when I do get a glimpse and I look out of the corner of my eye, again, I'm respectful. And I'm just kind of curious. Often patients will suddenly begin to tell me a story of that experience. They just spontaneously tell the story. It's very, very weird. Uh, We'd like to think everything's always rational, but
0: (laughs) there's a lot that happens beyond those veils of rationality. And then we start talking about things like magic or shamanism things that might seem very mysterious, and in a way are, but that's the universe we live in,
3: so.
1: Well, I remember reading the Carlos Castaneda books when I was in high school and early in college, because it's amazing, right? Wow, non-ordinary reality. Hmm. And uh, the world's not the way you think it is. I think those are powerful ideas anyway about that age and time you're growing up and you realize holy shit the world is not as i was told it was but one of the things that i remember reading again carlos Castaneda, some other books it seems to me that whenever you start working in that shamanic realm there is like initiation and training that has to go on and it's not always pleasant it's often really difficult. Some people are like called to it and thrashed within an inch of their life before they take it on. So it's always had a question for me of, like, why would I go down that path if I could possibly avoid it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Does that question make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And I think a big part of that is this work is not for everyone. The work of the mystic, the work of the shaman is not for everyone. Mm. And I think it really does speak to a deep calling that is there from an early age in this life, perhaps from past lives, if one wants to believe in such things. And I know in myself, that was always there. Mm -hmm. It was rather than like, Dear God, why would I go down that path? It was, wow, this path feels very familiar, very intriguing, and almost inescapable. Mm -hmm. Like, this is my destiny.
4: Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at annsecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Sturman thanks Michael. Back to you
1: Maybe that's why so early on, you could start focusing through the lens of purpose in bringing this work into being for yourself
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I'll say it's well beyond me, right when we start to get into all the threads of synchronicity right all the the threads of things that weave together this path and this journey that we're each on, but I can really speak for myself. It's kind of incredible. It feels guided well beyond me and my conscious choice in this body, in this brain, in this mind. Mm.
1: Synchronicity. That is a potent force. And I hear you talk about threads of synchronicity. Mm Tell me more about that.
0: Well, every time that I woke up in a lucid dream, hmm. there's a feature that was there every single time. You know, I put a lot of work for some years into trying to wake up in the dream and with very limited success. And when it finally started happening, there was this really interesting feature either at the beginning or the end of the dream where there's a screen that showed one or two old chinese men that were giving me lessons and i didn't really know what to make of it at the time and i always watched and listened very intently and yet when i woke up i wasn't able to remember precisely what they were saying but it stuck with me so deeply and it wasn't until years later that i realized who they were and so Kind of beyond the the veils of time and space, beyond the veils of this reality, one of those old Chinese men was Sun Sun So he hasn't been around for about a thousand years. And yet here he is in my dreams before I had any interest that I knew of in Chinese medicine teaching me things in my dreams. And so in the face of this, you know, as I've over the last several years been able to put together more of this picture of what the hell was going on here? You know, in these uncanny experiences where things just align in such an incredible state, uh, where you know, this is beyond me, this is beyond anything I could have planned. And it's like, the universe conspired to bring all of this together. That's the power of synchronicity. And we can get you know, little glimpses of the shimmer and sparkle, maybe in our daily lives of like, wow, how did I just think about that person? And now, boom, here they are. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, drop into some huge initiatory realm of, you know, seeing well beyond this life into the framework of the cosmos, and how everything has conspired and aligned to bring everything together in this moment. It's all synchronicity. And it's all really powerful. And so I like to follow those little sparkles because a lot of times they lead to really big and amazing things happening.
1: I've noticed something similar. And when I have those experiences of synchronicity, it's never right in front of me. It's always something off to the side. It's always off to the side. You can't look at it directly. (laughs)
0: Peripheral vision.
1: (laughs) Peripheral vision, seriously. (laughs) But there's something very reassuring about those, those synchronistic moments. It's like walking some stepping stones across a stream. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a stone. That's a solid stone. I don't know where the next solid stone is. But then in a moment, with a little hint of synchronicity, it's like, ah, it's over there. It's that. That's the next step.
3: And it makes it
0: that much easier to trust
1: in time it makes it easier to trust yes yeah i would say it's highly trustworthy in my experience i don't always know what it means but it's usually got some kind of a message like that direction there like go that way
0: and so i think the more we're able to trust that the more we're able to listen to that and to cultivate our capacity to listen to that the more we're able to find that guidance when we need it. Mm. It's kind of like flexing the muscle. It's kind of like working out your spiritual abilities. Mm -hmm. This has long been a big part of not just Chinese medicine, Asian medicine, but the first medicines of people the world over. And I want to say I feel like the word shaman is in some ways, a very mysterious term, in some ways, a very loaded term, in some ways, a very meaningful, and in some ways, a very meaningless term. Because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. It's shrouded in a lot of mystery. It originally is a obscure Siberian word that has come into the common vernacular, I think, speak to the first medicines of humans. Mm. There's an incredible similarity between the first medicines that come through the first peoples the indigenous peoples the people connected to heaven and earth the people that pre-civilization living in in tribes living in the original ways of people depending on our environment and depending on what is taking place in that environment what are the factors what are the animals what are the plants these medicines are going to come through differently and yet When people are connected to heaven and earth and in that place of listening, there are remarkable similarities to the various pieces of medicine that come through. And I like to say there's three big things that are part of the first medicines of all people, Mm. and that's song, dance, and plants. And you find that the world over. I don't know of any first peoples that don't have those three things as their medicines. And what I think is really remarkable about Asian medicine and Chinese medicine is the fact that, like, the entirety of the culture and the medicine is based on these premises of these ways of knowing of people connected to heaven and earth.
1: Well, it's right there in not just Chinese medicine, but the Chinese philosophy, right? Heaven, earth, person, or heaven, person, earth, depending on. How you want to put that together that there's this like weird layer of consciousness that connects these two aspects of reality one very unformed full of potential mm-hmm. the other one you know the mud <laughs> <laughs> the mud and the ling the mud and the ling tell me more about the ling So, I
0: remember it's long been a mysterious thing to me as well, Ling, because I remember being in school for Chinese medicine and I remember it was first semester going in points class and some of the points have the word Ling in them. Mm -hmm. So, I remember the teacher doing his best to explain, well, Ling, it's like the, the more yin part of spirit and that's really all he had to say. It didn't necessarily feel like it was coming from an embodied place of understanding, but maybe something that was read in a book. And so as I've dropped deeper into this practice and really tuned in with what was I actually cultivating for years before I even got in the Chinese medicine, what is taking place as I've gone through initiatory experiences, as I've gone deep into caves, as I sing with the ocean or with trees or with canyons, what's actually happening here? Because I feel like some deeper thing is happening, something is being cultivated, and yet it's not apparent on the surface. And so, with time, it's become clear to me that this is Ling. One definition I really love of it is the magic of the universe. It's this sense of potency that shines through nature and shines through all the different spirits of nature. And so, I like to think of it as it's like the spirit of Shun shining through this material reality and so in that you can't quantify the magic of the rainbow sparkles in the dew on grass or you can't quantify the magic of seeing a tiger move and what that does to you Mm. and so ling is basically that magic that is yuan qi that is source qi flowing perfectly and harmoniously through nature. So, in a way, magic and science are kind of just a matter of perspective.
1: (laughs) Magic and science are a matter of perspective. I'm with you, brother. It's like, do we understand it or not? Because Well, and how do we understand it, and what are we using to do our understanding with? Exactly. I mean, the first
0: use of electricity was stage magicians doing seemingly magical things. Let me rub this wand, and then all of a sudden I can lift strange things or make funny things happen. That wasn't understood. Or you you take a, a smartphone and you bring it back a couple hundred years. That's freaking magic.
1: No, that would not be magic because it wouldn't work. But here's what would be magic. Here's what would be magic 500 years ago they would burn you at the stake or worship you as a god. Bic mm-hmm. lighter. <laughs> fire out of your hands that would be magic 500 years ago
0: yeah and some things in this mysterious universe we live in are never going to be quantified and are never going to be understood that's part of the great mystery that we live in and maybe much of the chagrin of certain scientists or certain seemingly rational minded people we're never going to understand everything we're never going to be able to control everything and so that realm of magic is something that we can cultivate in ourselves. And that is Ling. You could say a form of Qi cultivation, right? We can do our Qi Gong to really build our reserves of Qi, to build our muscles, to open our fascial planes and our channels. But ultimately, we can also cultivate our Ling through chanting, right? We chant a mantra. We're not just Me right here chanting this mantra, we're chanting with the entire lineage of everyone who has ever chanted this mantra before. Mm. Thousands and thousands upon people over thousands of years in
3: some
1: cases. Talk about veils of time. Exactly. So are you familiar with the character Ling? Do you know what it looks like? I am, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So you've got two shamans at the bottom.
3: Yeah,
0: there are three mouths in between.
1: Three mouths, the people in between, and they're calling the rain down from the sky. hmm And yes, this is often translated as spirit, not like Shen spirit, but like spirit. I think of when I think of how that w- character is used in other Chinese words, it's spirit like something's lively and has spirit. Mm-hmm. Like a song is lively and has spirit or dance has a liveliness or you know you see a great athlete in the midst of doing what they do they're very linghua right they've got a very ling movement yeah it's transcendent i hadn't thought of it as a sense of transcendence but i think that's right that sounds right
0: it's transcendence in the physical realm mm. you know it's when we see that sparkle in the child's eye we see that nectar dripping off of a flower and that shiny color it's these things that we can't necessarily quantify, but it's seeing the transcendent spirit, the shun, through the physical, mm. through that pure expression of Yuan Qi, of source qi.
1: I want to come back for a moment to rational and non-rational.
3: Mm.
1: I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and she said, well, you know, Chinese medicine is not completely rational. <laughs> you know, There's a big part of it that requires us to use that pattern making right side of the brain it doesn't really use language it doesn't use logic it's quite ling at understanding pattern not a rational process and yet we also use rational processes <laughs> we also use rational processes as we do our work we use them both and i think about since you brought it up, Carlos Castaneda where at one point Don Juan is explaining to Carlos, you've got everything here, that's the known, and then there's everything else. And there's those two worlds.
0: And if we look at that
1: scientifically
0: to the brink of our modern scientific understanding, we know that there's way more energy in the universe than what we can see you know, about 90% more, whether we want to call it dark matter, dark energy. I don't know. It's there. We know it's there. Otherwise, physics doesn't work.
1: We know it's there, but we don't know what it is. Exactly.
0: And within that, then you take that smaller piece of the electromagnetic spectrum, what we can measure, Mm. and what we can actually see with our eyes, and hear with our ears. It's tiny. It's a another tiny fraction. So, when we look into what we can actually interact with rationally, we know it's actually only a tiny portion of what's happening in the universe. And once again, much to the chagrin of people that like to believe they're being entirely rational in the way they view the world, there's always going to be that element of the great mystery. There's always going to be the unknown. And you know what? That's effing scary sometimes. So, the human mind loves to place that semblance of rationality on everything that we do but once again you get into psychology i have a degree in psychology we've got these two minds Mm -hmm. and you know what is not driving people's behavior rational thought no it's emotion we know that as much as we like to think that the dude in the passenger seat holding the map figuring out where we're going is actually driving (laughs) it's not what's going on
1: (laughs) i love that image the dude in the passenger seat with the map who thinks he's driving. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rational Mind. You're doing great. So you mentioned the electromagnetic spectrum, which to me, there's this really oddball, curious yin-yang thing with it because on one hand, it opens up an entire world to us. All the things we can see, all the things we can smell, taste, touch, think even for that matter, maybe. So it opens a world, but at the same time that it opens a world, it blinds us, it effectively blinds us to everything not in that spectrum. That's also present. Mm -hmm.
0: And we know there's a lot of it, whatever it is.
1: So I'm curious with your training, your experience, how to work with those two aspects what we can see, what we can't see. The part that is rational, the part that is irrational and yet has something to say is there a way to connect these up is there a way to get these talking with each other or are they separate worlds and we just have to walk in two worlds i
0: think that is traditionally the idea of what a shaman is is a walker between worlds mm-hmm. is someone that bridges these realms of heaven and earth mm-hmm. and personally what I love about my job and what part of what brings me so much joy in my job is being able to bridge these realms of the seen and unseen of the rational irrational of the magic and the scientific of the pragmatic and the woo woo. It's what we do in the clinic. That's really what we're trained to do as practitioners. Maybe less so in the field of TCM straight up, but we're still that's part of our training is here are these Frameworks here's the five phases, here's the six levels, here's the zhang fu, here's all the things. here's all these patterns, great, pretty rational, wow, okay, these are patterns that have been established and recognized for thousands of years. super, and sometimes you're in the clinic all of a sudden, Kogu is screaming at you. There's something going on there,, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily coming from. The rational mind, and yet we can hold space for both. And to me, that's part of that dance is allowing that theory to be there, allowing that science to be there, but also holding space for the whispers of spirit, holding space for the messages from the patient or the client, holding space for whatever the heck wants to happen that it's going to move things forward in a good way and healing and find more flow. And I really don't see them as at odds. I just kind of let it move through me as a dance. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this, I can get kind of out there. And yet I really need my practice to be grounded in the visceral, in the somatic, in the physical. That is an absolute need and requirement. So I consider it Very synchronistic, very fortuitous that I was very early in my education in school exposed to and encouraged on the work of applied channel theory. And Wang Zhuyi and Jason Robertson came to my school and taught workshops, and I got to do them. And one of my favorite teachers did a lot of the channel palpation clinic. I consider that, pragmatically speaking, the most important thing that happened in my education is. If you're going to work on this body, feel the frickin' body, <laughs> feel the channels, feel the physical
1: what's in there. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in that vein, I think as acupuncture students, it's very easy. I saw this around me a lot. And also with inside myself, what the hell am I doing? I'm sticking these needles in God. I hope they work mm-hmm. like, okay, this theory says this should happen. Oh, I hope it works. And yet the body is right there and it's speaking. So the first thing I do once the person comes in and lays down on the table and I read their pulse is I feel the channels. And until I had that understanding of, I suppose it's a theory, but to me it's the theory that makes the most sense of the planes of fascia in our body, the fascial planes are holding the channels. They're basically synonymous with the channels oh, now I have something to work with. Now I have something to sink my mind into. Now I have something to sink the needles into, quite literally. And when you then get into the nature of what is fascia, well, fascia is connective tissue made mostly of collagen. What is collagen? Well, it's actually a crystal. So what is the fascia then? Oh, it's a fluid semiconductor crystal matrix that runs through the entire body, holding everything together. Oh, it's not only electrically conductive, but it's piezoelectric because that's how crystals are.
1: Wait a minute.
0: Oh, where's most of the water in the body? Ah, yes. It's held within the fascial matrix.
1: Oh, wait a minute. That triple burner, the pathway of the fluids? Oh, okay.
0: Oh, you mean there's actually three chambers? There's actually three jiao that are distinct fascial compartments? Oh, wow, okay, I guess some of this makes sense. So to me, coming into that realization was incredibly beneficial for my own understanding of the practice, my rational mind, because as spiritual as I am, my rational mind, it needs to understand to some level, even if it's like, okay, that's beyond understanding. But I figured with something like the mechanism of acupuncture and a lot of these things, there's got to be something. And this, the endorphin theory is not working for me. The just pop it in and hope it works. Things not working for me. No, we're talking fascia here. We're talking something visceral and important. So getting my hands on the channels immediately and seeing where things are blocked. Mm. That is a pragmatic and rational decision based in science that I'm doing. And yet also opens the door to, oh, what is that? Wow, is there some sensation that arises in myself or the client? Is there some message that comes through? Is this point speaking really clearly? That's all there when you actually get your hand hands on the person. Never mind just the act of connecting somatically with this being in front of you. To me that is a huge and important bridge between the seen and unseen, the rational Irrational is start with the body. Listen to the body.
1: In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with free handing needles into Jing Well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I love that you use the phrase that going to the body this way allows you to sink your mind into the body. Mm. It's a way of connecting, and and I think this for me is partly why practicing medicine is so much fun <laughs> and so damn challenging because. I don't know what's going to pop up. I don't know what's going to show up. I don't know at the beginning when I also do some physical sensing first, I have no idea where I'm going to be led. I have no idea where I'm going to put a needle. I've got ideas in my mind, but those are ideas. I've got theories, but that's a story someone told me what actually shows up. I had an experience today was surprising I'm being inquisitive about some points. There's one point that I liver for I don't know why liver for but it was liver for and I just put my finger on it it's like what is I think there's something going on here. What's going on here? I put my finger on it and the patient takes this long deep breath that goes all the way through her body (sighs) I'm like I have no idea why liver four would bring that response, but I'm going to put a needle here and see what happens.
3: Heck yeah. (laughs) So
1: it's such a delightful exploration. As long as I can keep that guy in the passenger seat with the map, (laughs) somewhat like calm throughout the process where I just don't need him Mm -hmm. and being able to put my hands on people helps
0: hugely. And I really credit that with most of the effectiveness of my practice Mm. is actually getting my hands on people. And I got to see a really wonderful example of that. After I held my first retreat last year, I'd been exchanging with amazing acupuncturist in the Ashland area. And she actually went to school in Hawaii I guess the school is now closed, but it was Taoist lineage. You know, whatever seventeenth mm. generation Taoist nun. I don't know, but she seemed amazing. I never got to meet her. They didn't learn palpation, but there was things like incantations and mudras and things that they were at least exposed to. So we'd exchanged, and I'd gotten some pretty decent treatments from her. It was like it was pretty good. She comes to my retreat and. We do a lot of the channel palpation. It's really about cultivating that embodied awareness and understanding of the channels. And so the next time we trade, a few weeks later, she says, Any requests? I'm like, Palpate my channels. And so that session and the next two were like a hundred times better than anything that had ever happened before. And I really got to see the one big difference was the channel palpation happening. And I finally got to experience that in myself, and it was very heartening. It was very encouraging, and you know, really felt affirming.
3: Mm.
1: So, again, I'm a fan of putting my hands on the body, and channel palpation is something I've also spent some time with. I had a chance to spend a little time with Dr. Wang Jui as well, mm. just watching him put his hands on somebody with the kind of intention to listen through his hands it's remarkable when you're in the room with somebody who is masterful at what they do Mm -hmm. it's all kinds of stuff you are exposed to and just talking with you today thinking about the channels these fascial planes these piezoelectric semi-flexible crystalline structures I wonder how much, I'm going to throw this out as a question, I wonder how much other information is contained in the channels, in this fluid conscious matrix that we just don't have access to unless we put our hands on people or unless we put a needle in and then spend some time listening with that needle.
0: Well, they talk about how our Traumas, our stresses, all of these things are trapped in our tissues. Mm. And it's in the fascia. They say that water has memory, or we know that water has memory. Where's most of the water in our body? It's in the fascia, it's held in this matrix. So I think the ancient Chinese did a really, really remarkable job of mapping out these channels, not just in their physical location and flow but also in where in these channels, in what areas, in what points are these different kinds of emotions and these different kinds of traumas stored. And so coming from this ancient way of seeing, this more shamanic way of seeing that was, I would say, more commonplace in the ancient way in people connected to heaven and earth, being able to then refine that and expound upon that and experiment with that for thousands of years upon that ancient way of knowing is such a treasure and to be handed the legacy of these maps to be able to work with people in real time now getting our hands on them but also with these structures and theories and all these tools that we've been handed down is such an enormous and remarkable blessing And that's why I'm so passionate. So my practice is called Shuntara. So it's Spirit of Tara. And it's really about helping bridge this ancient way of understanding, this ancient way of healing, song, dance, plants, into the modern understanding, fascia, connective tissue, Chinese medicine theory, anatomy, etc. Because I think both are incredibly powerful in their own ways. And when we really help in our hearts in our minds in our clinics bridge that ancient way with the modern day that's powerful
1: yes seemingly impossible things can happen in an acupuncture clinic
3: yeah it's
1: absolutely amazing it is I mean, remarkable it kind of brings us back to the beginning of our conversation talking about how it's the person in front of us who's doing the healing yeah and so
0: i'd say why not bring everything that we can to bear on that healing from the creation of space physically to listening to the body somatically to utilizing these amazing tools of the medicine that we were given from massage and twaina and needles and herbs and moxibustion and all these things and then there's a lot of other layers Because ultimately, because it is the person that is healing themselves, it is the person's body and subconscious and spirit that is healing themselves, there are ways to help that. So we know when people are able to drop into lower brainwave states, that is a place where quote unquote, the healing happens. Hmm. So there's a difference between popping some needles in someone real quick and be like, okay, I'll be back in 20 minutes and kind of leaving them to be. And then the power of presence. So, in that presence, just being there and breathing is something. But, you know, you mentioned incantations earlier. Incantations I find to be actually a very powerful part of my practice. And I've kind of wondered why sometimes. I was guided. Oh, it was actually while I was training some really amazing ancient animal qigong at the Tao Gardens at Montak Chia's Center in Thailand. It turns out, I found out many months later, one of the eight immortals who are invoked everywhere there came and whispered in my ear. I put in the needles and someone, it was their second session, and this little voice comes and says, sing this mantra. I'm like, oh, I've been carrying this mantra, a Durga mantra, so actually a Hindu mantra. been carrying for many years, very long, and so I'm like, well, okay. And what happened when I chanted it is I could feel the vibrations of my voice resonating not only in the needles, but also in the crystalline matrix of this person's body. So I realized on a pragmatic and tangible level, you can use the vibrations of your voice to move energy in the channels. That's a thing. Wow, that's cool. On another level, I then learned the overtones and harmonics of the human voice actually help us very naturally drop into lower brainwave states. mm So talking about space, if we can somehow create space, a sound table can also really help with that too. Singing bowls, all these different vibrational tools can really help people drop into that place where the healing does happen, drop into maybe alpha, delta, theta, brainwave state, because that in itself is potent.
1: The power of the human force I'm thinking about something as simple as a kind word versus a harsh word, and how that is received by another person. You can totally change somebody's physiology with a kind word or a harsh word. It's simple. It's actually simple. Yeah. And so, yes, using our voice in clinic, in practice, with intention, I mean, I naturally talk in a fairly soft voice in my clinic. Good bedside manner. Habit acquired over the years, mostly to keep my own nervous system calm and present in the face of what the hell am I doing here? (laughs) Right? Because the pressure is always on. We're supposed to do something, we're supposed to be helpful. I found over the years, I've developed ways of speaking. In ways of using my voice, mainly to help myself. It turns out it's helpful in creating a space in the clinic for the patient to calm down as well.
0: We can call that nervous system co-regulation.
3: That's <laughs> one thing we can call that.
1: Yeah, it's really powerful mm-hmm. and actionable and practical and tangible. I mean, anybody can begin there.: Yeah. And how do you know it's working? Because you, as the practitioner, aren't flipping out. Job number one. (laughs) Job number one. (laughs) Don't flip out. Don't flip out. (laughs) I mean, we're laughing about this because we've both been there. And I suspect people listening to this conversation are nodding their head. Yes, I've been there. But that is the beginning. In many ways, is how we regulate ourselves and how we are with ourselves. And that can have a huge impact. That's creating space. Mm. It is
0: what is the resonant field of our heart speaking, Mm. because it's always going to be speaking something. It's always going to be holding some kind of space. And is it going to be calm and present and trustworthy? Or is it going to be something else? That's really our decision and part of our cultivation.
1: So what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, there is no way for us not to be creating space. The question is, what is the space we're creating? And how conscious of it are we? Mm -hmm. It's been
0: very interesting sometimes in the space created to see how sometimes seemingly the most ethereal or the most woo-woo thing has the biggest effect. There's a couple of treatments that come to mind. A really big one, I'm treating my roommate and he's got this headache And he told me afterwards, I'm really working in the the Tai Yang, especially. And he said through the whole treatment, the chanting, everything, like his headache is just pounding and getting stronger and stronger and stronger through the whole thing. And he just feels it filling his whole body. At the end, I come through with smudge. So I have sage. And in this case, it was an owl wing I often use in my practice, barn owl wing. And so I come through at the end over his crown, over his head with the sage smoke and the wing. And he said, as soon as I took the wing over his head, he said he felt the entire headache, everything just drain out from the top of his head, out through his feet, gone. And so it would have been really easy after this hour-long treatment to just not do that, to not even think about it. And yet it was that tiny, seemingly insignificant sweeping through his field, not even touching his body that shifted everything. And I've seen that happen with, I use shakers and rattles in my practice quite a bit because that's a really powerful way to move energy. And those vibrations are meant to shake up, stir and move energy Mm. and kind of similar thing. Wow, my headache was getting stronger and stronger. And then you came by with a rattle, gone. So sometimes these super spiritual, woo-woo, mysterious things are actually having a very pragmatic and tangible effect. And I like to think of that as while we're grounded in the somatic experience of the fascia and the body and the bones and the organs, we know that crystals have fields. We have a quartz crystal that has a field around it. We know that the toroidal field of our heart is actually pretty large and is affecting things around us so different ways that we're able to impact the field also really works and trickles back down to the body
1: how do you keep your wits about you when you're in the middle of the treatment and it's getting worse and getting worse
0: well in those cases i didn't know i was actually informed afterwards mm. i really feel like that is an aspect of cultivation of learning to regulate one's nervous system even in the face of adversity in the face of, holy shit. And I think that's where something like a meditation practice Mm -hmm. and Qigong practice really has a huge effect in learning how to work with and regulate our own nervous system, because that has a huge effect on someone that's given their trust over to us and is surrendering, in a way, their bodily autonomy for a period of time to be pinned down to a table that they might not be able to get up off of without help. That trust is huge. And trust is a funny thing because our conscious choice to trust is like the tip of the iceberg. Mm. We can be like, yes, I trust. But if our body doesn't trust, if our subconscious doesn't trust, if the deeper parts of us don't trust, that ain't shit. Because we can make all the conscious choice we want. If we're not feeling safe and we don't trust, that's a experience in the body.
1: That's right. It's a real showstopper. And I think there is a communication, a conversation between patient and practitioner, usually over the course of time where this kind of trust gets more and more established Mm -hmm. and it takes time. And some of it is that the patient can come up, express something, anything, and the practitioner is not thrown off their stride they can like catch that and go oh yeah well that fits and that's part of what we're doing i mean you can make up a story about that just to make someone feel good or yourself <laughs> feel good but if you can actually take whatever adverse thing might be happening in the moment with your patient and like roll it into the work man stuff can happen yeah
3: mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, trust,
0: I like to think of it like a plant. You know, you can't make that plant grow. You can just give it the conditions that are amiable to its growth. And I think part of that is the space that we create. Part of that is the words we use, our tone, the state of our nervous system and our hearts. There's so many different things that we can use to help create that space of trust. But it's paramount in the healing process. You don't trust doctor, not much going to happen
1: or bad things will happen. Right. There's that, okay. So we're coming up to the end of our conversation here. Snuck up on us. Oh, this happens all the time. You just start, <laughs> start talking, hour goes by just like that. So we've been talking about shamanism. I often have a question in my mind, what is a modern day shaman? And I think we've touched on a lot today that bespeaks aspects of it. But if you were to put it succinctly into words, what is a modern day shaman?
0: It's one that helps bridge the world of the seen and the unseen, of the material and the spiritual. And there are many ways to access that. There's certain things that shamanic practitioners throughout time have done. Not all of them, all of them. But there's certainly an aspect of cultivation and spiritual cultivation, also physical cultivation that happens there are often tests and initiations that happen uh, from teachers or spontaneously. There is learning to access other states of consciousness, such as the realm of the dream or lower brainwave states. This can be done through drumming. This can be done through lucid dreaming. This can be done through entheogenic medicines. There's a lot of different ways that we can access different states of seeing and being. But that accessing these states is a really big piece. And another is really working with, you could say allies. Mm. And a lot of traditional societies, the allies are going to be animal spirits, are going to be plant spirits, are going to be ancestors. The words can get a little muddy if we talk about tantric traditions or shamanistic, right? But these are using our connection with different energies and so that could be archangels that could be deities that could be the spirit of the tiger or the dragon or the butterfly anything that helps that sparkle of ling that magic shine through us in our field so we can impart that energy into what we're doing so these are some of the things you know i think there's no universal every shaman or shamanistic practitioner does this or that but i think the cultivation is a big part of it the Bridging and walking between worlds is a part of it, and working with allies is certainly a big part of it. And we want to be very discerning about what allies we use. Shamans aren't always doing good things, you could say.
1: There are malevolent forces in the world. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just a matter of perspective. (laughs) Well, well spoken. That could be a whole other conversation. Save it for next time. Yeah, we could save that for next time. That bridging between worlds, that is what we do as healers, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a delightful walk through the ordinary and the (laughs) non-ordinary. It's been a lot of fun. I like to lean on the known in my clinical work. I like to have a sense of the territory and terrain. I want to be able to fit my patients' problems onto a map that has resources that I know how to use. But as Sean pointed out in this conversation, there is a lot of unknown that we encounter in our work with patients. And how we navigate those waters not only has an impact on our patients, but on us as well. As practitioners, we really do walk in between the known and the unknown between language and image, and our work often enough does act as a bridge between one world and another. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that,